Well, guys, it is good to see you tonight. I'm glad you're here. Um, if you don't know the format, basically we're going to take about 30 minutes or so. We're going to talk through some print leadership principles, and then we'll do some Q&A uh, at the conclusion. And uh, we will make this available on the Summit podcast page, so you can go back and listen to this if you'd like, or share it with people if you feel like it would be helpful, or if there is somebody on your team that you're trying to send a secret message to about why they're bad at leadership, you can you know, forward this to them or whatever it may be. Uh, but tonight we're going to talk about how to lead when you are not in charge or when you're not the boss. And some of you might be here tonight and maybe you are the boss, maybe you are in charge, and I would encourage you, there are, there are going to be applic- there's application for you throughout this message uh, because there are things that bosses can learn as far as how we interact with those that we lead as well. Um, and the truth is, not, most people don't start as the boss. Uh, we have to grow into that. Um, and, and, and what we're going to look at tonight is the fact that uh, really leadership is not about a position. And I think sometimes we have this myth that we think, uh, hey, I'll lead when I'm the boss, or I'll lead when I have the authority, or I'll lead when I have the title, or when I'm at the top of the flow chart, or whatever it is. Uh, but the, to me, the purest form of leadership happens further down the flow chart rather than at the top of the flow chart. Um, because leadership is all about influence. And, and when, when, when you believe leadership is about, about uh, a position or about authority, that's when you will you'll never lead to your potential if you really believe that. Uh, so just to let you know, if you're taking notes, I've got lists tonight, so if you like lists, you're going to love it tonight. Um, and I, I want to start with this. There are a couple of books that are great resources, and they're written primarily for churches, but there are a ton of application, whether you lead in a church setting or outside a church setting. And the two books uh, are, the one is a classic, it's called uh, How to Lead from the Second Chair, and it's by uh, Mike Bonham and Roger Patterson. And it's a little older, but it's, it's a great book. Um, you can pick that up on Amazon. Um, you can get a hard copy as well. But I think the Amazon, it's like $11 on Amazon, something like that. But it's a great book. It's a classic. And then, um, and then the other one that's come out more recently, it's called How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. It's by Clay Scroggins. And Clay is the pastor of North Point Community Church. It's where Andy Stanley used to be the, the lead pastor there. Now Clay leads that. It's a large congregation on the north side of Atlanta. Uh, but, but both those books are great resources. I've read both of those books. Uh, some of the thoughts that we're talking through tonight are, are lifted from that. So there's nothing new under the sun. I'm, I steal everything that I present. So, um, so just know those are both great resources if you want to go a little deeper. Um, one of the things I want you to understand tonight is if you can't lead when you're not in charge, you're not qualified to lead when you are in charge. So if, if you think that I have to wait to lead, then you're never going to be in a position to lead. Um, so I, I want you to understand that there are things you can do right now to help you lead better uh, when you are in charge, when God gives you that opportunity. And again, there are church applications, but there's application beyond that in your workplace, in whatever environment you may be in. I, I believe that these principles work for you. So let me walk through them. Um, let me see. Yeah, there's going to be... There's going to be six main principles we're going to talk through tonight, and if we're going to be honest, you could come up with a hundred more if you wanted to, but, but we don't have that kind of time, so we're going to go through six. The first thing you can do to help you lead better when you're not in charge is to lead yourself well, uh, and this sounds like something Oprah would tell you to do or Dr. Phil, uh, but, but 
you are the one who's in charge of your emotions, your thoughts, and your decisions. You might not be uh, responsible for leading anyone else, but you are responsible for leading yourself. One of the things I talk to my girls about regularly is they will say, well, they make me mad, or they make me, and I'll say, no, 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 they don't make you anything. You have made a choice to feel the way you feel. Um, and, and when we understand that, when we're self-aware uh, about that, it helps us lead ourselves better. So one of the things that's important for us to do as leaders is take responsibility for ourselves. Because so often we don't take responsibility for ourselves. We will say things like, well, the reason I'm in this position is because, and, and the classic is, haven't, haven't, haven't we all, if you played sports at all, haven't you known the guy who said, yeah, I could have gone pro if it wasn't for my coach? It's like, no, you couldn't have. You know, that's an idiotic statement. You couldn't have done that. And what they're, they're not taking responsibility for the fact that maybe they weren't good enough or maybe their attitude was bad or they did something to contribute to the fact that they sat on the bench. And the same is true in our workplaces. So many times people say, well, I would have had that office. I would have gotten that opportunity, but my boss hates me. It's like, no, your boss wants the company to do well and they're not gonna sit you on the sidelines for no reason. And maybe that's the case, but for the most part, it's not. Because most bosses, they, they're driven by the bottom line. They wanna be successful. And so when we can take responsibility and go, you know what, maybe I haven't gotten an opportunity because my attitude's been bad. Or maybe I haven't gotten the opportunity because I don't put in the hours like I probably should. Then what it does is it helps us recognize what we need to shift and what we need to do differently. So we have to take responsibility for, for ourselves, and that helps us lead ourselves better. Uh, if you don't have the discipline to lead yourself, you won't be able to lead others uh, on a sustained basis. Now, you might get opportunities to lead others, uh, but you're, you're not going to have those opportunities for very long. Or if you do, this is worse yet, maybe you do get opportunities, but if you're not self-disciplined, what's going to happen is the people that follow you are not going to stick around very long. You're going to end up losing, uh, losing influence, losing credibility, and your team's going to leave you. Uh, so you have to discipline yourself in different ways. Uh, I'll, I'll just be really honest with you. Those of you that attend Summit, um, over the last year, uh, I've lost quite a bit of weight. Now, in the last three months, I've put some weight back on, which is unfortunate, and we're working on that again. But one of the things I realized is I'm fairly disciplined in a lot of areas of my life, but one of the areas that I was super undisciplined in was my eating. And by evidence of me talking about eating punch bowls of Reese's Puffs for dinner and things like that from stage. Uh, but, but one of the things I realized is we are selectively disciplined in our lives. Every person in this room, every person that's listening to this podcast is disciplined in some areas of your life. There's some things that you are regimented about, and then there's other areas that you disregard for whatever reason. And so whatever area we apply in discipline in our lives, that's what we need to redirect and go, okay, well, um, how do I apply that in this situation? Because I talk to people in church all the time who say things like, well, I just, it's hard for me to pray. You know, I just can't be disciplined to pray. And it's like, well, but you're disciplined to go to the gym. So if you can go to the gym, then I promise you can pray. Or, you know, so there are, there are areas in your own life that you're disciplined in. So if you struggle to lead yourself well, I would ask you to, to ask yourself, what are the areas that I discipline myself well in? And how do I apply that discipline? What does that look like? And how can I apply that to my normal life? Uh, Jim Collins, if, you, if you've never read Jim Collins, he's classic uh, leadership book guy. Um, he, he, one of my favorite leadership books ever, business book, is uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins. But he said in another one of his books, uh, he said in the book, How the Mighty Fall and Why Some Companies Never Give In, uh, he said this, he said, truly great leaders, no matter how successful they become, maintain a learning curve as steep as when they first began their careers. 
And I love that so much because what he's essentially saying is uh, the, the highest end leaders, the, the companies that, that never see a fall off in their growth are the ones that are led by leaders who are just as curious and just as uh, hungry for knowledge uh, later in their life as they are at the beginning. Because a lot of us, when we're starting something, we go, man, I got to figure this out. What do I need to do? I need to learn everything I can. And we're sponges. We're soaking it in. And then at some point, we start telling more information than we receive. And, and one of the disciplines I've had to have is as our church has grown, the more opportunities I get to share with churches how we've grown and what we're doing. And it would be easy for me to settle into a place where I'm I, I stop learning, and I'm, now I'm teaching, but I'm not growing, and if that happens, the organization stagnates, I'm not leading myself well, and so one of the things I would encourage you in is, like Jim Collins said, always stay curious, always continue to learn, always understand that there's more for you to grow in, uh, and when we do that, that helps us lead ourselves well. Uh, just because you're successful doesn't mean you're a good leader. Um, in any industry you find, there are companies that are successful. And sometimes they're successful because of leadership, and sometimes they're successful in spite of leadership. Um, and so just because your company's growing or your department's doing well, it doesn't mean you're a successful leader or a good leader. It might just mean you're successful in spite of you. So what we have to do is identify, be self-aware enough to say, hey, am, am I helping this organization? Am I helping my department? Or is th this area growing in spite of me? And when we can answer that question and we can identify um, what our strengths and weaknesses are in relation to the people we're leading, then it helps us lead ourselves well. So that's the first thing. Not all of them are that long, so don't worry. The second thing is this, uh, serve the vision. I served at a very large church before I came to Summit, and, uh, and some of you can identify with this. My pastor was terribly dynamic. He was the most charismatic leader I've ever been around. Uh, had more personal charisma than anybody. You just wanted to be around him. Uh, and he was not around the office very much. He was there on the weekends. He would preach. And, um, and every time I was with him, I felt like something would change. And he, you know, we'd be standing on the front row before, you know, during worship, and he'd say, hey, how come that's set up like that over on that side of the room? And it'd be like, well, because we're doing da-da-da-da-da. And he'd go, yeah, you need to change that, and it needs to be different for next week. Okay, no problem. And... He didn't know why we were doing it or why we had changed it or anything like that. It was just it needed a change. Um, I led a large staff, and, and I was the number two guy there. But one of the problems is my pastor would change things so quickly that literally one week we would start something that my pastor said we need to start. And the next week he would say, you know what, it's not working. We're going to stop doing it. It's like we've been doing it for eight days. Like we, have, we don't even know if it's working yet. You know, that's what I'm feeling. But I had to... I had to support him, and I have to I'd go to my team and go, guys, you know what? We tried it. It's not working, but man, I'm excited about what we're doing now. And, and it was hard because I recognized that my pastor's leadership probably wasn't the best, and so if I focused on his leadership, uh, it, was, it would cause me to have issues. Uh, but if I focused on the vision, it helped me serve the church well. It helped me serve the vision well. Because although my pastor's leadership might have been lacking at times, if I continue to come back to the vision, what is the vision of our church, I could get behind that. I could get excited about that. And so when I'd say, hey, my goal here is to serve the vision, to help my pastor serve the vision, it helped me lead better. Um, because honestly, when, when leaders are hard to follow, we have to focus on the vision. Um, the, the vision is going to help you serve your clients and your customers better. Um, I worked for a couple of years, I worked in um, a non-church environment, and for two of those years, I served as a corporate recruiter. 
And my job was to place uh, hard-to-find people in jobs. And so a company would hire me, and I would go find a CNC machinist, or I would go find, you know, whatever it might be, and I would place them in this position. And there would be times that there would be jobs that would be hard to fill. And uh, as, a, as a Christian, I never, uh, I never lied to the person. I never said, yeah, we can take care of that for you, when I knew we probably can't. So my coworkers would hear me tell clients at times, you know what, I don't know if we can fill that position for you. But you know what, I, I know this company is doing really well with that right now. And so I would refer them to other companies at times. And now the bottom line would say that doesn't make sense because you're losing business. But the vision of our company was to help our clients uh, and to serve their needs. And sometimes helping our clients and serving their needs meant I referred them to another company that could serve their needs better. And it, it's counterintuitive to do that. But when I locked myself into the vision, it, makes it, it made it easier for me. So it allowed me to to help them and to serve them in the best way possible. And that ultimately brought them back to us later because they knew they could trust us. Um, and so when we lock ourselves into the vision, when we lock into uh, what the big picture is all about, it helps us lead in difficult situations. Um, because honestly, we've all had bad bosses. We all have. Um, but if you are a believer in Jesus, you also have to understand that God puts bad bosses in our lives for a reason a lot of times. And maybe it's not for us to fix them, but maybe they, God wants to use them to do something in our hearts and our lives. So we don't focus on the lack of leadership or the lack of character. We, what we focus on is the vision. We serve the vision. Uh, the third thing I would tell you this, uh, be positive. I said earlier, we get to lead ourselves. We get to choose if we have a good attitude or a bad attitude. So I would tell you, in, in situations where you're not the boss, the, one of the best ways you can lead is to be positive. It doesn't mean you lie, uh, but what it means is you choose to look at the best instead of the worst. Um, one of the things that happens when we're in difficult leadership positions, when we're not the boss, is we tend to react emotionally. We tend to um, default to, that's not fair, why did they do that, that's not right, and there's always something good to see in every person around us. Every bad boss we've ever had, there are good things about that boss, but maybe you just struggled to see it because you were emotionally connected to the negative. Um, I served under a boss one time, and I've told this story to some pastor friends. I served under a pastor one time that um, he would correct you by sending an email to you, and he would tell you why you stunk or why you were bad at your job or whatever, how you made a mistake. And that's not a problem. We, as a boss, you should, you should have direct conversations with your employees. Uh, the problem was he would CC all the staff on it. So he would say, Mel, this is why you stink. And you would see the entire staff was CC'd on it because he wanted everybody to see, like, this is, a, this is a, an example. That wasn't all, though. He would also print a copy of the email, and he would put it on your door at the end of the day facing out so that anybody who walked by your office door would see that as well. Um, this is the same guy, again, I've told the story several times to pastors, um, the same pastor at the end of every year, they would have a church-wide survey, and uh, it was the very last Sunday of the year, and the 10-question survey, and the last question on the survey was, um, if, if we had to terminate a staff member, who would it be and Why? And then at our next staff meeting, he would announce who the, the winner was, and he would say, hey, I just want to let you guys know, unfortunately, Murph, they said they would let you go, and here's why they said they would let you go, and he would do this publicly. And now any of us who are objective can look at that and go, that's some terrible leadership, right? 
Like, how can, you're going to destroy morale. Who wants to stick around for that? And some of you are thinking, maybe my boss isn't so bad after all, right? Um, But this is the thing. There were people that stayed with him forever. There were people that worked for him 20 years ago that are still with him today because uh, there's no such thing as a bad leader. There's only a bad fit. And I truly believe that. And so what they do is they don't look at the negative. They look at the positive. And he has lots of positive. There's lots of good things he's doing. But I was so emotionally connected to some of the things, like when he would correct me publicly, that it was impossible for me to see the positive. And so one of the things we have to do as leaders is see the positive in spite of the negative. Uh, Great leaders lead up the flow chart with the right motivation. So our hearts are right, and we say, man, I've been hurt, and this is disappointing, but I'm going to lead up the flow chart as well as I can, and I'm going to make sure my heart is right. Uh, Marcus Buckingham, and again, if you don't know Marcus Buckingham, he's a leadership guru. He wrote a book a few years ago called The One Thing You Need to Know About Great Managing, Great Leading, and Sustained Individual Success. And this is what he said. He said, find the most generous explanation for each other's behavior and believe it. And I love this statement because this works in any relationship. It works in marriage. It works in uh, business relationships. Because what he says is find the most generous explanation for each other's behavior and believe it. And what we tend to do is we look for the most nefarious explanation for behavior. We go, well, the reason they did that is because they hate me. The reason they did that is because they're evil. You know, whatever it is, we tend to default to the worst. And, and I love this, that he says, no, default to the best. Believe the best in them and then hang on to that no matter what. And when we can do that, it allows us to be positive in difficult situations. The fourth thing is take action. Um, What tends to happen in difficult situations when we're not the boss is we can tend to stagnate because we feel like nothing I do matters. I can't change the organization. I'm not going to be able to help anybody. I'm not going to be able to grow. So what happens is we just don't do anything. Um, But what I would encourage you today is don't let frustration about what you can't do keep you from what you can do. There's always ways that you can contribute, always ways you can help, always ways that you can serve. And so instead of saying, well, I can't, you know, change the direction of this organization, um, well, no, you probably can't if you're not the boss. It's, it's hard to change the culture from the second chair, but there are things you can do from the second chair. So what can you do? Identify those things and take action. Go do that. Um, it's easy to default to the passivity when we work for someone else. And this is where we have this um, employer-employee mentality. Uh, the best staff here at Summit are the ones that don't look at themselves as employees, but look at themselves as employers that we've enabled them and empowered them to lead, to make decisions, to have authority. And they're the ones who, who lead with the most vision and are the highest capacity leaders we have. Uh, and so when you work for somebody else, it's easy to go, well, this is just a job. It's, you know, nine to five and I'm clocking in and clocking out and I'm, I'm going to do what I need to do, but it ends up being the bare minimum. Um, whereas if you look at yourself as the boss, if you look at yourself as the owner of the company, you're going to approach it differently. You're going to work differently. You're going to give a different effort. All those things change when we look at ourselves as the, employee, uh, as the owner, not the employee. Um, great leaders know what their boss wants and what is important to their boss. Um, and this sounds like you're sucking up, but you're not sucking up. Um, my staff, I've been here long enough now that I love Tracy Galley as my assistant, and Tracy's fantastic because nine times out of ten, she knows what I will want before she has to ask me about it. So, like, somebody will say something to her, hey, I'm thinking about doing this, what do you think? Uh, yeah, Mel will be fine with that. And I've released Tracy to make those kind of decisions most of the time. So, 
almost every time she'll come back to me later and go, hey, I just want to let you know, so-and-so asked if they could, and I told them you'd be fine with that. Yep, I'm fine with that. Because uh, she knows me well. And so what that does is it helps her uh, take action in ways that if she was waiting on me, she wouldn't be able to. I'm not bottlenecking everything because she can take action. She knows what I want. She knows what I would like. She knows what the vision is. And it's easier for her to take action. Uh, and so I would tell you the same thing. When you know what your boss wants, what they would like, the way they would think, it allows you to take action in ways that otherwise you wouldn't be able to. So um, it's not about being a suck up or a brown nose. It's about you saying, uh, hey, how am I going to be able to serve the vision of our boss best? How can I serve the vision of this company best? Uh, what are they going to want? And then not just responding to what they would want, but anticipating. That's a whole nother level as an employee. If you can get to the point where you're anticipating what your boss is going to want and what your boss desires, you're going to be the most invaluable employee at that company. So know what they want and take action. The fifth thing is this. Um, Ask this question, how can we make it better? And this is a question that we cognitively know we should be asking, but the longer we're at an organization, especially when we're not the boss, it's easier to settle into a place where we stop asking that question. Uh, the difference between this question, how can we make it better, and a critical attitude is our motivation. Because sometimes we, we're critical of, well, it would be better if we would just da-da-da-da-da. And that's fine, but there's a fine line between how can we make it better and this is why it stinks. And the difference is our heart and our motivation. So if my motivation is, hey, how can we help this organization get better? Then that's always a win. Um, and, and it might be hard for somebody to hear that. And this is what I would tell you. Um, the more challenging the conversation, last month we talked about hard conversations, hard talks. Um, but the more challenging the conversation, the more private the conversation needs to be. So if, if you know, hey, if I ask this question, uh, how can we make it better? And like in our context, if, if, if we had a conversation like we did on Tuesday with our whole staff and we said, hey, let's talk about our women's conference. She is. Man, here's all the ways it was good. And, and, but how could we have made it better? And we had that conversation. How could we make it better? Um, if we know it's going to be deeply personal to Kim because she was the, 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 ran that, then that's something that probably needs to happen more behind closed doors. But we've got a good enough culture on our team that we can have that conversation and we can own things and it's not going to be disruptive. But if there's something deeply personal like Jim didn't do his job or then that's a conversation that you probably shouldn't have in public when you ask that question, how can we make it better? Uh, so you gotta be cognizant of that. You gotta be aware of that. Um, but we have to constantly be asking, how can we be better as an organization? How can we grow? Now this is the thing, and we talk about this as a staff a lot. Uh, excellence and perfection are not the same thing. We will never, ever, 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 ever achieve perfection. That's not going to happen. But excellence can be something we do every weekend when we have church, every time we interact with people on the phone, uh, when we meet people in the community. We can function with excellence without being per perfect. And sometimes we fail to be excellent because we think we can't be perfect. And so I would encourage you in this, um, Ask how you can be better, and it doesn't mean you're ever going to be perfect, but it means you can always strive for excellence. And excellence doesn't cost a lot of money either. Your organization can become excellent uh, without spending much money. Just by the way you serve people, the things you do, how you interact, all those things help you be excellent. Uh, the best leaders are constantly looking for ways to improve. Uh, and and let's, if we're going to be honest, don't we hate hearing how we stink at something? We love hearing how good we are. Uh, but we hate hearing how we stink at something. Um, we had a, a gentleman that came and spoke at our pastor's conference here at Summit back in August. And, 
and I love him, and he serves as a coach in my life. Um, and I invite him. And if you've ever had a coach, like a, an athletic coach or whatever it is, you know coaches are going to point out what you do wrong. They're, and they're doing that to help you get better so you can help the team. And so this gentleman, he pastors a fantastic church, and he's direct, and he is uh, sarcastic. And now interacting with him, I know how people feel when they interact with me. And so it's helped me as a leader. But we sat down. He preached here this Sunday after the conference, and we went to lunch afterwards. And we were talking, and it was he and his son and Kim and I, and, and we were sitting across the table from each other. And I, and I asked him the question. I asked every guest speaker we ever have come in. What did you see about our church that we need to fix? What are, we, what are we lacking? What are our blind spots? What are the things we're not doing that we should be doing? What are the things we're doing that we need to stop doing? And both he and his son, their eye got, eyes got big. And, uh, and his son said, are you sure you want him to tell you this? And I said, yeah, yeah, go ahead and tell me. He said, okay. And Gerald started and it was almost a little offensive because he didn't even have to think about it. It wasn't like, well, huh. I mean, he had already thought about it. And so he said, okay, here we go. Bam, bam, bam. And he named like six things immediately, just like that. And there were a couple that I could dismiss that I was like, okay, well, that's, that's, that's his preference. That's not really substantive. But there were several things that I was like, we got we to gotta fix that. He's right. We do need to change that. And there were things that help us get better. And, and, and if, you, if you attend Summit, you, you might recognize we changed our order of service where now we have prayer time at the end. We don't have a worship song. So we've, we've made that adjustment. And that's because he said, you need to make this adjustment. It'll be better. And I was like, well, I don't know. And we re- we're, good. We, we're good the way we are and things are fine. That was my pride. But when I said, you know what, we're going to try it. If it's not good, we'll figure something else out. And we tried it and people were like, oh my gosh, this is great. We got more people coming forward for prayer. Our prayer team loves it. And it's like, I'm an idiot if I wouldn't have listened to that. But I wouldn't have heard it if I didn't ask the question. So we have to constantly be asking the question, what can we be doing better? How can we become more excellent than we are right now? Uh, this is one of the things I would tell you if you are working for someone, never present a problem to them without a solution. If, if you are going to tell them why something stinks, you need to give them at least one reason or, or way that you can help it get better. Hey, you know what? This is what I see, but, but this is what I think we could do about that. Because when you do that, you're adding value to the company instead of, instead of adding problems to your boss. Because there's a good chance your boss already sees the problem. Your boss already knows that there's an issue with. And what he needs is not you to point out the problem. What he needs is you to say, here's how I'm going to fix it. Because probably your boss is pretty busy. Maybe not. Maybe your boss is lazy. But probably they're pretty busy. So I would tell you, never present a problem without a solution. At least one solution. Uh, I would also tell you this, the closer you are to the problem, the more likely you are to have the, the solution to the problem. So think about it this way. In the flow chart, if there are three levels between your boss or the, you know, the ultimate supervisor and where you're at, if you bring your problem to them, they're not going to know how to fix it because you're in the weeds with it every time, you know, every weekend, every day. You're going to see the problem. And so if, if you don't know the solution, I bet they don't know the solution either because they're not with you all the time. They don't see what is going on. So I would encourage you, again, it comes back to being an, an, an owner, not an employee, and figure out how do we fix this? How do we solve this problem? Um, and I would encourage you this as well. If you're a boss, don't immediately think you know the solution to the problem. One of the most important things I can do for my staff is ask them their opinion. When they come to me and they go, hey, there's an issue with, and, and most of my staff will say, and, and I think we could do this about it. I just want to let you know, here's what we're planning on doing. But sometimes we still have staff that'll come and go, man, we got this issue, and I'm not sure what to do. I need your help. 
And I go, okay, well, what do you think? Tell me about this. To, you know, give me some insight. And typically through our conversation, they can work out the problem themselves without me being the, the answer giver from on high. Um, because I want to help them work out the solution, work out the problem. So don't just assume because you're the boss that you're going to know all the answers. Give them a chance to respond and to, uh, to come up with a solution. The sixth thing and the final thing is this. Um, if you're not in charge, one of the best things you can do to help lead well is to cheer others on. Um, be the first clapper for other people. Because if there's a difficult work environment or a difficult cultural environment in your organization, one of the most important things you can do to lead well and to build camaraderie is to cheer people on when they're successful and when you have nothing to do with their success. When you do that and you do that well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to give people more buy-in. Uh, people are going to trust you. Um, when you begin to cheer them on with no strings attached, when you begin to love them with no strings attached, it's going to help you. It's going to give you more credibility as a leader. Uh, and people are going to listen to you when they feel like you care about them. Um, one of the most important things we can do is stop comparing ourselves to them and start helping them. Because again, depending on your cultural environment, what ends up happening is uh, we compare ourselves. Well, why are they getting that opportunity? And I'm still here and I'm doing this and they're just doing that. And, and when we can begin to just look at people objectively and say, man, that was a good job. Man, they did great with that event. Uh, it's amazing how much, how much it shifts the culture, how much it allows you to lead well, even though you're not the boss. Um, one of the things we do every time we get our staff together, we meet at least once a month with our whole team, um, but then we meet uh, at least twice a month with smaller teams. So like, you know, Two or three teams will break up and we'll, we'll meet individually. Anyway, every time we meet, every single time, the most important thing we do is celebrate wins. We'll say, hey, what are some things that's happening that you're excited about? What are some things, maybe it was a conversation, maybe it was an event, but just, let's talk about some things that we can celebrate together today. And when, when we can bring our, our wins together, it's so cool for, uh, like this last week, we were talking about... Um, we had an event called The Collective. It was a young adult event at IUP. And Kendall, our young adult pastor, is the one who talked about, man, I was so excited that this is what happened and this is what was going on. And it was so cool to go, and we didn't take turns, and it's not formulaic like that. We're, well, you did a good job, Kendall. And the next person, you did a good job, Kendall. Yeah, well, you know, it wasn't like that. But just hearing our staff celebrate each other and go, man, that's so awesome. I love seeing, and this is what I like about it. And, you know, just speak into that. It's life-giving, and, uh, and it adds value to the team, and it builds camaraderie. And, uh, you know, so we just we take time to do that, and uh, it helps us all get on the same page and understand that, hey, uh, what we're doing collectively is more important than what we're doing individually, that the, we, are, we are more valuable uh, together than we are individually. So when we cheer each other on, when we're our first clappers, it, it's, it's amazing how we begin to have credibility. I'll give you another example. Again, a few of you don't go to Summit normally, but uh, we're starting a location in Blairsville. Yesterday I was in Blairsville, and I ran into um, a past, Pastor Mark. He's over all four of the Methodist churches in Blairsville now. And we, I was going into a store. He was coming out, and I recognized him because we're friends on Facebook, and I had talked to him once on the phone. And he was walking out, and I go, Pastor Mark. Said, yeah. And I said, Mel Massingale, Summit Church. Said, oh, my gosh, it's so great to me. You know, so we talked, uh, and... We probably talked 20 minutes out there on the sidewalk, and it was so cool for him to say. It meant so much for me to hear him say, we can't wait for you guys to come to, uh, to Blairsville. 
man, it's going to be so good when you guys get here. Uh, and does he really feel that way? I don't know. Um, I think he does. But whether he does or not, it was good for me to hear that. And it, it built camaraderie. And it feels like, man, we're on the same team. And, and I gave him a level of credibility that I might not have before because he, he affirmed what we're doing. He affirmed the job we're doing. So it just, it matters. Um, so cheer others on. Be their first clappers. Um, be the first, don't wait for others. Be the first one to say, great job. Man, you did well with this. Man, you excelled. Whatever it might be, it will make a difference. Uh, one of my favorite stories is the story of David. Uh, in Scripture, is the story of David in the cave of Adullam. And uh, just to make a long story short, he ends up in this cave after he was anointed king. He was supposed to be king of Israel. Now he's on the run for his life. He ends up in this cave. And what we see in Scripture is that all these people who were in debt and just unhappy and miserable their life, they all show up to this cave. And he ends up becoming the leader of these people. And, and what I see is, um, I love the fact that David didn't say, I deserve to be on the throne, but here I am in this stinking cave. And I'm going to waste my time, and this is no good, and I can't believe. He didn't do that. What he did is he said, you know what, I know I'm a leader, and I don't have to wait till I get on the throne someday. I'm going to lead here in this cave. I'm going to lead here where nobody sees it. And, and I really believe the nativity of David's royalty um, it wasn't when he got to the throne room. It was there in Adullam, in that cave, uh, you know, unseen by so many people. He did what he was supposed to do. He led well in that cave, and that allowed him to grow into the leader he needed to be so he could lead the nation someday. And if you're here tonight and you're struggling because you feel like, man, um, I'm in a cave. Man, I'm stuck in this position. Man, I don't have the authority I'd like. I don't have the say I'd like. I don't have the, you know, the power I would like. Whatever it might be, I would encourage you and say, you're looking at that the wrong way. Um, they can't get enough pictures of me. They love taking pictures of me. <laughs> Thanks, Kelsey. Uh, you're looking at it the wrong way. If you would look at it and say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to wait till I'm the boss to lead. I'm going to lead in the best way I possibly can right now. I think God's going to honor that. You're going you're to be the best employee you possibly can be, and that's going to pave the way. It's going to give you opportunities that you wouldn't have otherwise. So I would encourage you, don't wait to lead. Lead where you are right now in every way you possibly can. And one of the best ways you can lead is to be the best employee you possibly can. That's going to gain you influence. It's going to gain you credibility, and it's going to open up opportunities for you. 